Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. These first six weeks back in church, we've been looking at things that are important to church life, kind of the building blocks of what makes a church um, strong and healthy. Um, We talked about the gospel, we talked about commitment to Christ, we talked about prayer, discipleship, and last week, holiness or godliness, you might call it in a different term. Um, Today we finish that out, we're talking about witness, witness. Um, So we'll pick up chapter 14, we'll be in verse 15 to start out. Um, Back in 2013, I was in Romania on a mission trip. Um, one of my favorite mission trips I've been on, um, just, just a great time there. And um, uh, what our ministry basically was while we were there was we just walked through the streets with a translator. The translator would approach a person on the street, um, just someone waiting on their bus or at a restaurant or whatever, would approach them and say, hey, th- these, these two people are from the United States and they want to talk to you about God. And so we would then begin a conversation with them through the translator. Um, we would share with them that Christ had died for their sins, and if they received him by faith, they would be saved and redeemed. We did that during the day. In the evening, um, we would have a worship service in, in a nearby church, um, and, and our team would lead it. The translators would help facilitate it, um, and, and we would um, be there. We would sing some music, and, and each night, a guy on the team would preach, would preach a sermon. So one night of that trip... Um, our team leader said to me, hey, you want to preach tonight? And, and I'm thinking, okay, you're asking me to preach like in, in an hour from now. I've got nothing to work with here. Um, I have an hour to prepare. I have no resources. I just have my Bible and a notepad. Um, sure, I'll preach. I'm going to need some time. Um, understand the, the way I currently write sermons, you know, I write my sermons a, a month ahead of time. You know, I spend, you know, two days of the week at certain points working on it. Um, and I have it a month ahead of time to pray over it and to prepare and, and to remove things that don't need to be there and add things that need to be there. Um, and this point, when I was in Romania, I'd only preached about five or six times at this point. Um, and so I went up on a hill where we were at. We were in between the, the morning evangelism and the evening service, just kind of hanging out. So I just went up on a hill, and I sat there on a rock. And I took my Bible and a notepad, and I wrote a sermon. And it was terrible. Like, it was just terrible. And I thought it was terrible. And I went down to that church for that service, and I got up, and I preached with, through a translator. So I would speak a sentence and they would speak it in Romanian, and then I would speak the next sentence, and they would speak it, and that's how the sermon went. And the people ate it up. They, they loved it. They were smiling, they were excited, they were verbally responding. It was a joy. This terrible sermon, they loved it. This is the purpose of the church, 
Not all of us preach sermons like I'm doing right now, but our purpose, all of us, once we leave these walls on Sunday morning, is to share the gospel of what Jesus has done to to those who haven't heard it. It, it, We do that in such a way that the message we give is a feast for people that they can have joy in. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about in Luke 14. I'll start in verse 15. I'll read through 24. When one of those who reclined at a table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet, a great banquet, and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. And I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. I lost my spot. Okay. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So let me kind of help you understand what's happening in Luke chapter 14, um, up until what we read. Jesus is eating dinner at a Pharisee's house. And you know, the Pharisees are, are not the good guys. He's, he's eating at one of their houses, and he's talking with them. And he's been telling several parables along the way, and they're all about feast and banquets. Um, and one of the Pharisees, after hearing these, he sets up, he puffs his chest up, and he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. For him, the kingdom of God is some idea about something that will happen at some point in the future. The way a lot of Americans think about heaven, it doesn't have much to do with today. It's just some vague idea off in the future. Um, You'll see your family there. You won't suffer anymore there. The good people will go there. The bad people will not. Um, And everyone assumes they're a part of the good people. And all those people they don't like are the bad people who won't go to heaven. Um, And for the Pharisees, that's the kind of thing they're thinking. And all the good people who are going to be in the kingdom of God are their religious friends. And all the bad people who won't be there are all the scummy people out on the streets. He's thinking of that. He's thinking, you know, this is going to be awesome. We're going to eat bread at the feast But all those other people aren't. Those who worship other gods, those of other ethnicities, those who are bad sinners, etc. All of us good people who have it all together, we're going to eat in the kingdom of God. I can't wait till God snuffs all those other people, those nasty people out, and we're there eating. That's what the Pharisees think. And Jesus is going to take that statement and tell a parable in response to it, and that's what he does. 
He, he, Jesus understands saw the kingdom of God very different than the Pharisees did. If you read uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, you see Jesus come onto the scene and he announces the kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes he says literally the kingdom of God is here, like it's here now. Um, it's this thing that we understand, um, Bible scholars would call it the already and the not yet. What that basically means is God's kingdom is already here, but God's kingdom is not yet here. I know that doesn't make sense, does it? Think of it this way. Um, when Jesus came, he began his work, his new creation work, his kingdom of God work. It will not be finished until he returns. So right now we're in the already and the not yet. God's kingdom is already here, but it's not yet done. He's saving souls. He's renewing people's hearts. He's taking people from their sins and moving them into the kingdom of light. He's doing that now. And one day he will finally do away with all sin when he returns. We're in that in-between stage. The Pharisees don't understand that. They think the kingdom of God is some really far-off idea in the future that has nothing to do with today, and we're just kind of sitting around waiting for it. Understand, when you're saved, you become part of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom will be completed when Jesus returns, but if you're saved, you're part of it, and you will receive that hope when he returns. And so Jesus tells this parable, and he tells this parable of a feast, which is what they're at. They're at a banquet. They're having dinner. And he basically sums up, hey, the kingdom of God is like a feast. It's like a feast, but we're going to talk about who's invited to that feast and who comes to that feast. Um, of course, we're going to feast in heaven one day. You know, Revelation 22 talks about the, the tree of life will be there and that we'll be in that place and we will feast from it. But just understand, there's a, there's a feast in knowing Jesus now. Jesus in John's gospel will say, I'm the bread of life. Those who come to me will never hunger. Those who believe in me will never thirst. Uh, if there's anyone here thirsty, come to me and drink. Um, those who drink water from that well right there, uh, they'll be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. That's the kind of things Jesus says. The Pharisees have no idea that the, the kingdom of God, the banquet, has already begun. It's already begun. It's going to go for all eternity, but it's already started. They're thinking it's off in the future, but it's here now. And so Jesus begins to talk about the people that come to this banquet. Um, understand how feast worked in that day. Um, the host would tell the guests that were invited the day that it was going to happen, but he wouldn't tell them what hour. Um, so people RSVP'd, hey, I'll be there on the 22nd. Whenever that's going to be, I'll be there. He needed to know how many were coming so he could butcher the right amount of meat for that feast. And when the time comes, when the food's done, when it's time for people to come, he sends out his servant. The servant goes and knocks on all the doors of the guests because, you know, they live in a small village and you can go door to door pretty easily. He says, he knocks on the door and he says, hey, the feast is ready. Come on, come eat. Everyone has already RSVP'd, so they're expected to be there. So the time of the banquet comes, verse 17, and the servant goes, and everybody that was invited has an excuse for why they can't be there. The first guy says, I have a field. I have to go see it. All right, I'm, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know if har farmers have some kind of romantic affection with their field, but I just think that's a dumb excuse. Like, okay, I can go feast on all this free incredible meat, 
or, or I can go stare at my field. I think it's a pretty easy option. But no, I've got other things to do, is what the guy says. Second guy says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I've got to go examine them. Okay, maybe that's a little more understandable. You've got to take care of your oxen. But you did give your word you'd be at the feast. And you found something more important. The third guy says, I've gotten married and I can't come. This guy's in his first year of marriage where he wants to do nothing but just hang out with his wife all day and all night, never leave her side. And, and, and so the question you got to ask is, why don't you just bring her to the feast? In, in Jewish society, um, getting married is even a much longer process than, than what we have um, in, in a lot of cases. Um, in Jewish society, he would have known well in advance that he was getting married. So when he RSVP'd, why didn't he RSVP his wife as well? Each of these people asked to be excused. They're probably thinking, you know, next time that guy invites me, I'll go then. I'll go then. These three people represent the religious people of that day. They're so familiar with the things of God that they're bored by it. They're so familiar with the kingdom of God that it bores them to tears. And Jesus comes and he offers them a feast to be a part of. You can be a part of a feast. You can have the most incredible meat you want to eat for all eternity. You can be a part of that. And what did they say? We've got better things to do. We've got temple work to go take care of. We've got scribe scribbling to do. Worse, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. He's offering me the greatest feast in the universe, and he's blaspheming. The people who were spending all their days serving what they thought was the kingdom of God have the kingdom of God right in front of them, and they don't want it. It's a tragedy. So the servant comes back, verse 21, and he says, Master, like, none of these people that you invited want to come. What do we do? All your guests said no. The host, who represents God, gets very angry, and, and he says, fine, if they really want to reject my glorious feast, I will fill my house with somebody. I will fill my house with somebody. God delights in his house being filled. He wants people from everywhere filling his house and eating of his feast. So he tells the servant, hey, go out into the streets, go out into the, the lanes of the city and find everybody. Find the poor, find the crippled, find the blame, find the, the blind, find the lame. Bring them in and they'll eat. That they're the people who won't have some excuse to get out of it because they're, they're too insignificant to have fields or oxen or, or having just gotten married. They, they're, they're com they completely recognize their brokenness, and they will gladly come. They will gladly come. You know, when I was in seminary, um, I felt like the Lord was calling me to pastor in the Bible Belt. That's about halfway through cemetery. cemetery cemetery, halfway through cemetery, um, halfway through seminary, I started filling that call, go, go pastor in the Bible Belt. 
Um, if you don't know, the Bible Belt is the area of the United States, um, primarily the southeast region. We're in the Bible Belt. Um, it's kind of stretches up to southern Indiana, goes down to northern Florida, stretches over to Texas, kind of that region of the U.S. Um, you know, in many ways, ministry in the Bible Belt is the easiest form of ministry because most everyone there respects the Christian faith. Um, pastors there are still held up as noble figures. Um, you can preach a lot of hard subjects from the Bible, like, like homosexuality, like, like the fact that only men can be pastors, just different things like that. And you don't get much pushback, like most people agree with you. Um, but in a lot of ways, ministry in the Bible Belt is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. Because in the Bible Belt, most everyone has some affiliation with a church. Even if it's just their grandma goes to a church and she took them there once or twice as a kid. So there's a lot of people in the Bible Belt who are actually lost. And understand, I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm just saying this is what it's like in the Bible Belt. Um, there's a lot of people in the Bible Belt who are actually lost, who think they're Christians just because they live in the South. You know, if you're born in India, you're a Hindu. If you're born in the Middle East, you're a Muslim. If you're born in the Southern United States, you're a Christian. That's often the thinking. So my unique job in ministry is that I have to convince a lot of lost people that they're not going to heaven in order to show them their need for Christ. That they're so familiar with the things of God that they're not amazed by it. And they don't see their need for Christ much like the men Jesus is eating with here. I have friends who minister in really hard places. You know, I have friends who minister in other countries and in closed countries where you can't even carry a Bible legally. Um, I have friends who, who do ministry among prostitutes. And they tell me, like, like there's the, these people come running to Jesus. Like, you share the gospel with them and they're ready. Get, give me Jesus. Because they know how messed up they are. That they, they know how messed up they are, and when they hear there's a chance for redemption, they take it. Like, you don't have to convince a prostitute that she's messed up. She knows. And when you say, hey, I know all these men abuse you all the time. There's a man who wants to redeem you and, and make you new. There's a man who wants to save you. They say, give him to me. I'll take him. Please. It, it's hard to convince a good old boy that they're messed up. And that's who Jesus is speaking to, a good old boy who doesn't do anything wrong by the, by the appearance of, of the public, um, but, but his heart is just completely messed up. He's a whitewashed tomb. There's dead bones inside, but he looks pretty on the outside. So the servant says, hey, we went out, we got all those people, we brought them in, and there's still like half the table open. What do you want to do? You see, the Jewish people of the day rejected Christ so he sent his disciples into the world to build the church from people of all the nations. The Jewish people didn't want their own Messiah, so the, so the people of the Messiah went out and took the Messiah to all the world. All the nations that the Jewish people saw as both unclean and hostile. It spread across the entire world, and now we're here. Praise God. We're not a part of the Jewish people. We're a part of the pagan, hostile people that the, that the Jewish people would have hated. And the Gospels come to us and saved us. So, 
the, the, the master tells the servant, go out in the highways and hedges. That is, first he told them, go to the streets in the city and bring people. Now just go out of the city, go to all the places outside the city and compel people to come. Like run out into the forest and say, hey, you got free food back here. You want to come? Like go out and compel them. So it now comes to us. The Jewish people rejected it. The disciples took it out to the world, and now it's to us. We're to go out and compel the world to come in because there's still room in the Father's house. There's still room at the banquet. So we're to go out into all the places of our lives and tell people about the feast they can taste if they will find Christ. We must have our eyes to the world outside of our church. We must be outward focused. A lot of churches are inward focused and it's detrimental. Um, Christ calls us to be his witnesses and make disciples in the world. So we go to the highways and hedges looking for them. It's a feast. It's a feast. Come taste the feast. Often we think of people getting saved. We don't really present it as, as a feast. It's just, hey, repeat this magic prayer so in 60 years when you die, you won't go to hell. Those 60 years, it doesn't matter to you, but, but one day you won't go to hell. Um, praise God we won't go to hell, but, but there's a feast now. Come and eat at the feast. We, we, we have to teach them that it's not simply pray a prayer and don't worry about Jesus for the rest of your life, but call out to the Lord in prayer and then live your life for him, tasting the feast, and then you will spend eternity with him. Praise God. Because understand, each of these Pharisees at dinner had prayed a prayer. They had performed religious rituals to be considered church people, like they did that sort of thing, but they hadn't tasted of the feast and seen that the Lord is good, that they hadn't tasted his feast. They didn't know the joy of the feast. They, they, they were bored with the things of God. It was just something they did. We have to show people the joy of the feast. We have to show people their need for Jesus, that they need to eat bread. They need him. Without him, how lost they will be. They must come to him and drink. They must come to him and eat. It's not just perform a religious ritual and be saved. It's, it's call out to the Lord and then give your life to him and have joy in him. Notice he says, hey, hey, go out to the highways and hedges and compel People, just, just bring them in, whoever. Just bring them in. Fill the house up, verse 23. Just bring them in. We don't just seek out people like us. We, if our view of God's kingdom is so small that we only look for people like us to be in it, we need a change of heart. Because it wasn't just the nice religious people that Jesus spent time with. It, it was the exact opposite. He often spent time with the people who weren't religious. He often spent time with the outcast. With, you know, he, was, uh, he, he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. Um, they, they accused him of being a drunk and a glutton. Why? Not because he was drunk and not because he was a glutton, but because he hung out with those people. He, he spent time with those people trying to bring them into the kingdom of God. He hung out with people most of us wouldn't go near, if we're honest. But the kingdom of God has the gates wide open for all people to receive Christ and come in, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Come, there's a feast. 
all the people out in the streets, they can come. So think about your own life. Where do you encounter some people who are outcast? Maybe people you wouldn't normally associate with. Would you begin to think of how you might share the gospel with them and invite them to come to the feast? Notice he says, compel people. We don't, we don't, you know, bring, we don't just bring people to Christ by living a good life around them. Any pagan can live a good moral life. Like, it's, it's not difficult. He's saying verbally compel them to bring them in. Jesus says, compel them, bring them in, tell them to come. Do you hear the drama in the verb? Like, compel, beg, urge, plead. Do not stop trying to get them to come to the feast. There was a guy named D.T. Niles back a while ago who said, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. Just one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. Isaiah 55 would say, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money on things that don't matter and your, and your food on things that don't satisfy? Come to me and eat, is what God says in Isaiah 55. We have to tell people verbally to come to the feast. People don't have to see your good works to be saved. They have to behold the good work of Christ on the cross. That's something you can't imitate fully. He says, go out into the highways, the hedges, and everywhere. He carries the idea of go everywhere and get them. I've, I've told you many times in different sermons, um, look for the places in your life that lost people are. I'm going to repeat it again. The, the places in your life that lost people are. So your family, your friends, your neighborhood, the coworkers that you work with, the hobbies that you have, the golf course, the gym, the, the hair salon, wh- wh- whatever, and, and, and strangers. So the, the, the cashier at Publix. The, the people at the same restaurant that you frequent over and over again. Think, think right now. Who is one person in one of those spheres that doesn't know Jesus? Not that they didn't one time pray a prayer, that have they tasted the feast? What, will you commit to begin praying for them daily? Will you make a commitment that, that you will tell them what Jesus has done for them and invite them to the feast by the end of this year. That's a big time gap. Just by the end of this year, will you do that? I had some friends who went on a mission trip one time to India, and they met a pastor there, and that pastor had a book. It was a photo album. And that photo album, every single page had a picture of a person on it, just different people. And it was all the lost people that the pastor knew. And every single day, he flipped through that photo album, looking, at the, looking in the face of each one of those people, and he prayed for them to receive Christ by name every single day. They weren't projects for him. He loved these people. He knew these people. He wanted them to taste of the feast. Do you want those people in your life to taste of the joy of the feast? You know, two months after I returned from Romania <clears throat> on that trip, 
Um, I preached another sermon at a small church in the Bible Belt. It was in my hometown. Um, the pastor and I were friends, and he had actually gotten the church to give me a love offering to go to Romania. So he had me come to preach, but also to kind of tell what happened there. Um, it's a completely different sermon. I had months to pray over it. I had months to research it. I had months to write it. I, I think I gave it to my mentor and said, hey, would you help me think through this and, and make it good? Um, it was organized well, and I felt really good about it. And, and I preached it with passion. I preached about missions, about God's heart to, to see all the nations come to know him connected a lot of what happened in Romania into the sermon. I preached it with passion and with joy, and the people couldn't have cared less. This was just something they did in their week. They went to work Monday through Friday. They went out to eat at, a nice, at the nice Mexican restaurant on Friday night. They did some yard work on Saturday. They went to church on Sunday morning. They watched football Sunday afternoon. It was just something they did in their week. They didn't care to be there and to hear anything about it. I'm still in contact with the pastor in Romania. Um, incredible things are going on there. Incredible things. I want to go back there and work with him someday. Incredible things are happening there. People are hungry for the Word of God. Mission teams keep coming and doing what they did while we were there, and people are feasting on it. They're going out to do God's work in the country around them like crazy. <clears throat> A few months ago, I was talking to that pastor of that church in Kentucky. Um, he's no longer the pastor there, actually. He's actually now the youth pastor at my home church. Um, that church, after he left, searched for a pastor for a while. They actually were talking to me once about being their interim, but it didn't work out. Um, they got another pastor, and he didn't even spend a year there, and he left. And after he left, they met together and they closed their doors. That was actually the first church <clears throat> I ever preached in when I was discerning a call to ministry, and they shut their doors. They're no longer a church. <clears throat> the word wasn't a feast to them. It was just any other weekly activity. So you can respond one of two ways today. You can respond like the church in Romania, or you can respond like the church in Kentucky. You can respond like the church in Romania. You hear the word and you feast on it. And then you go and invite other people to that glorious feast and see God work in the world. Or you can respond like the Kentucky church, stone-faced, bored with the word, and leave here unchanged and not see God's work in your life. Which of those do you want? Wouldn't you like to see God do incredible things in your life out of the ordinary things? things that will change you and change those around you, things that will change our nation. Notice verse 24. It's just a heartbreaking verse. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. All those people who said, I've got better things to do, I've got a field to go look at, they're not getting another invitation. They lost their chance. We don't want to be verse 24. God wants to do incredible things in your life. 
and he has encompassed that in go therefore and make disciples. So would we do that? Would we surrender to him in that and see God do those things? Let's pray. Father, I think all of us would admit that we, <clears throat> we don't do this perfect. Um, Lord, some of us do it a lot. Some of us don't do it at all. Some of us struggle to do it. Some of us are trying to find time to do it but, but can't find the time. Lord, to, to tell others about you, to send the light, to, to send the light, to invite people to the feast. Lord, some of us go throughout our entire day without even thinking about it. Some of us just kind of assume that everyone in our life is a Christian. God, break our hearts for the people in, your li in our life that don't know you. May we do radical things that they could hear about you, that they could respond to the gospel and believe and join us at that banquet. Lord, may we not be like the Pharisees and have better things to do than come to the banquet. May we come, may we feast, and may we invite people in the highways and the hedges to come and feast. In Jesus' name, amen.